Welcome back to another episode of Jake's Takes. My name is Jake. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the podcast, where we're going to be looking at NBA news, looking at different NBA stories, and going from there. So the first thing I want to look at is the news that Russell Westbrook is coming off the bench for the final preseason game, and it seems like they're looking at making him the backup point guard, potentially the sixth man, and the... uh, guy who is going to run with the second unit. And I don't know if this is going to be a long-term season-wide thing or if this is going to be a very short-term option for the moment to see if maybe Kendrick Nunn or Patrick Beverly can step up. Uh, But this is definitely a slide down more so than ever for Russell Westbrook, who was an MVP, you know, just years before it. And, you know, he was great um, with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder in his very storied career. Um, And now it seems like it's one of those things um, that has changed the situation. He was involved in a lot of trade talks, um, and those really didn't come at all to any um, any sort of head. And the problem that came with it is the fact that the Lakers weren't willing to give up two first-round picks. And in most of the deals thrown out there, the opposing team wanted a first-round pick for the trade assets they were giving up and a first-round pick to take on Westbrook. Granted, he's a one-year contract, but there was a lack of trading picks, specifically two picks, that doesn't seem like it worked. But... Um, now he's running with the second unit. There was also a report from Adrian Wojnarowski that the Lakers will again engage teams on trade talks once the regular season starts. Um, quote, the Lakers are at some point here will start engaging teams again on possible Westbrook trades. They paused it essentially at the start of training camp, and I think typically most teams, it gets a little quiet here as teams are putting their rosters together, making their cuts, and then seeing what it looks like playing preseason games. The Lakers are still armed with two First-round picks, future first-round picks, and Westbrook's expiring contract. I would like to go out and improve this team, certainly before the trade deadline. I think you can expect them to start canvassing again at some point when the regular season starts. So, at this point in time, I think the Lakers, to me, are waiting for the right deal. And I don't think the two-first-round pick thing is a big issue to me. I think, personally... Like, they're waiting for the right deal because they know this is it, right? They want to get the best that they can get. And it seems like if they trade for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, that kind of screws them for a deal moving forward. Like, they were all in on Kyrie because Kyrie's an all-star, and if he can work well with LeBron and get his shit together, then of course that's great. So they were hoping to get something happening there, which it obviously didn't. But when it comes to... Uh, the sort of trade asset. Um, he's still a good player. I think they just want to see what's uh, out there. And there was a uh, video of a team huddle with Patrick Beverly in the uh, preseason game uh, that they had. And uh, Westbrook didn't even join in. He was on the sideline just kind of hanging out. Um, and I think the Lakers uh, and Westbrook, it's not really going well. And I think, you know, you got to give other guys a chance. Kendrick Nunn could step up. We could see um, a step up with uh, Patrick Beverly in this new role. And, 
you know, I think Westbrook just doesn't fit this team. And not every player is going to fit uh, this team. Now, there are guys who could come in here and be better fitting. Um, and it's a tough situation for a lot of different teams. But if Draymond Green could potentially be on the move, well, I could easily see a Draymond Green-led trade for uh, something. Uh, obviously, there'd have to be other stuff going to Golden State because they don't need Westbrook. But if Draymond Green is not happy or something goes wrong... It's already kind of on the rails, but we'll see. Um, who knows? Porzingis could be another option if Washington's like, let's just get rid of all that money and let's take back Westbrook for a year and maybe we get a first-round pick out of this and they call it and go from there. Um, so he's an option. But the Westbrook thing, it seems like, you know, it's not the greatest situation right now. And I think he's going to be on the bench for the time being. He'll probably get some minutes and, you know, be 20-plus minutes a game. But... I just don't think he fits what they're trying to do, and I, I think they're going to try and trade him. They're just waiting for the right deal to come, and I think it's tough because, again, you only have two picks that you can trade, and if you trade those for something that's not great, then you're kind of screwing yourself, right? Like, Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are great players, and I think if you went to the, you know, Pacers and said, look, we'll trade Buddy Heald, Miles Turner for Westbrook and two unprotected first-round picks in 2027 and 2029, the Pacers would have called that deal in to Adam Silva and it'd be done today. But the Lakers don't want to give up two firsts and the Pacers only want to give up this deal if there is two firsts involved. So at the end of the day, um, the Westbrook situation is just ever so changing and it's one of those types of uh, things that obviously we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's terms of their team they have so many players already plus they have Dennis Schroeder who signed again so Westbrook just is kind of on the outs with this team and I think they're going to try and move him potentially um, in the not so distant future and uh, we'll see what uh, goes on there um, so next thing I want to look at is something that I only saw the headline but I want to kind of talk about it so uh, basically um, it was ESPN plus uh, the headline is, The Trade That Left the NBA Stunned Skeptical. Why the Wolves Went All In with Rudy Gobert. So I don't have ESPN+. Plus, So there isn't really much on this I can read. But basically, what I want to look at now is why they traded for Rudy Gobert, even though the fit doesn't really seem to work um, 100%, right? Like, you have already Carl Anthony Towns, who's probably going to be at that power forward, but... This is not a league that's transitioning to a double big anytime soon. Like, the days of David Robinson and Tim Duncan and the days of Shaquille O'Neal and another, like, big man right next to him and the days of, you know, really that double big lineup, Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, you know, you have um, more of a traditional center at the five and then your power forward is anywhere from like a 6'9 power forward to like a 6'7 kind of smallish power forward, kind of more of a traditional small forward. Um, it's not the same, and a team like uh, the Wolves gave up a lot of draft picks, and not as much in terms of the player's side of things, but in terms of draft picks, they gave up a lot for a guy who is getting older. And with big men, it is something where their careers don't always transition well late in the you know in the game and 
they tend to have more injuries as they get older, and they tend to not play as long of a career as other players who aren't as you know lanky and not as big. More guards and wings tend to you know play a lot longer, and it's one of those things where obviously in certain situations you know you would want to have two bigs in the lineup, but most teams only have a starter and their bench unit, and they don't have a traditional two big lineup. I mean, the Celtics kind of, sort of do, but Al Horford is a stretch. He's like a 6'9 power forward center guy, and he's more of a small ball center when he plays center, and so it's one of those things where most teams out there don't have these two traditional bigs like they used to, where you have guys who are both like 6'10", and then your center is like 7 feet. Like, your center is probably like 6'11", and then you have your power forward is probably like 6'8", 6'9". And it's a totally different ball game. And the fit to me didn't really seem like it worked well. And obviously the season hasn't started, so it's hard to, to really judge at this point. Because again, it's still way too early. And it's one of those things um, that we just can't justify yet. How this is actually 100% going to work. Because we just don't know until you know, it actually tips off and we see basketball. But I just don't think it's going to be the greatest of moves at the end of the day because I just don't think this double big lineup in today's NBA is going to be the best option because you're going to have teams with guys who are more quick and can go and actually, you know, play uh, and can move around the court a lot faster than Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns together. And I think, you know, in many situations, if you look at sort of this this sort of league, you have uh, Draymond Green and Kayvon Looney, who are more small ball centers who play very well together in the um, Western Conference. Then you have DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson, and Cam Johnson's more of a uh, small forward, power forward, combo guy. Um, and then you have uh, Memphis, who has... Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Steven Adams, which I guess that's more of a too big lineup, but they could easily just move Jaron Jackson to the center and put one of the other guys, whether it's Brandon Clark or Roddy or uh, Jake LaRiva at the power forward because they got a, a few rookies coming in who can do it. Um, Dallas has Christian Wood at the center and um, also at the power forward, Dorian Finney-Smith, who is a combo small forward, power forward, and I think um, Christian Wood has played power forward with Detroit and a little bit with Houston. He is going to probably be their center. Um, and so, you know, in today's league, double bigs isn't the ideal situation. And it's something that at the end of the day might not really work out in the end. Um, and, you know, this is a move that who really knows what's exactly going to happen. We don't know if they're going to have a great season. We don't know if they're going to win and make the playoffs, there's a lot going on. Um, and, you know, I think there is uh, so much to to look at going into it. And, you know, I think uh, the trade was a little bit of a question mark to me because I just didn't feel like um, in terms of the, the whole thing, I just felt like at the end of the day, it wasn't maybe the most ideal move because... Um, you know, I think it's um, just in theory not what I would call the greatest. And at the end of the day, it's just, uh, 
to me, uh, probably not the best decision at the end of the day for uh, Gobert to go to a team that already has Carl Anthony Towns and it's just not a great fit. The next thing I want to look at is something kind of based off of an article I saw on ESPN which looks at um, the watchability and fun of each NBA team. So it's ranked um, in terms of how sort of watchable each team is and how some teams are more uh, entertaining and how some teams are more, um, you know, must-see TV in comparison to others, whether it's star power or what's going on with the players. And so this is my list, and this is my situation of each team, where they fit in this ranking. Um, I didn't really go too much into detail looking at the article, more so because I wanted to not have any sort of opinions based off of that. I wanted to go with my own opinions. And so here we go. So number 30 is the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz are at the bottom. They are not must-watch TV. There's really not much going on here. They traded away most of their stars, and... Their head coach is gone, and I think they just aren't really worth watching. And in terms of, you know, all the things um, going on, I think at the end of the day, nobody really wants to watch them. I think, you know, everybody else is more focused on what's going on in terms of the rest of the league. So I just don't see them as must-watch TV at all. Then we have the Houston Rockets. Houston has no stars. Their team's built around young guys for the most part. They are rebuilding, and there's not really much going on there. They just don't have an identity yet, and there's no one player to focus on. Next is San Antonio Spurs. I think the only thing going for them is Greg Popovich, who is a little bit older and might be almost at the end of his career in terms of coaching and whatnot. So Spurs um, are number three. They don't have that it factor just yet, that player to watch, but not a bad, um, not a bad spot for them. Next up is the Indiana Pacers, who have Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner, and I just don't think they're must-watch TV at all just yet. I think they have a lot of issues, but yeah, it's um, I wouldn't say um, at all uh, in terms of their team. They're not that great. So they're not really, um, in my opinion, um, must-watch TV. So I would say, at the end of the day, I just really don't think they are worth watching. Next up on the list is the Hornets. Now, the Hornets do have LaMelo Ball, which is must-watch basketball just to see him. But their team itself is not really that great, and there's no other surrounding cast it's just lamella ball and that's what people want to see i don't think there's much going on with the hornets so they are on my list where they are which is 26 um and they are a step below orlando orlando has paulo bancaro which he's the number one overall pick it's must watch tv solely just to see him and i think because he is the number one overall pick people would want to see orlando because, yeah, that's um, a great team overall, and I think um, 
overall, he is must-watch TV, but the team, um, probably not. Number 24 on my list is the Detroit Pistons. Now, Detroit is not a great team whatsoever, but they have so many young pieces and so much they did this offseason makes them worthy of being at number 24. Um, I think they have a ton of talented players, um, and with adding in Bogdanovich and Jaden Ivey, and they have Kate Cunningham, like they're just a step above Orlando, so I put them at 24. 23 is OKC. They have Shai Julius Alexander. They have a lot of draft picks. They have Sam Presti. Um, they're not a great team at all. Um, they're not worth watching because of how they play. But I would say, you know, between the sort of pieces they have, they could potentially be must-watch TV, especially with Shai Julius Alexander for sure. So, uh, 23. 22 Washington Wizards. And I think the Washington Wizards have Bradley Beal, which is a big sort of selling point. They have Porzingis, which is a big selling point. I just think, you know, that's a perfect spot for them because there are other teams that are better suited. But Bradley Beal does help a lot. Moving on to 21, Sacramento Kings. And I'm very surprised that Sacramento is here. But the Kings do have a pretty good, you know, role player team. They have De'Aaron Fox. It's a bonus. There's some movement in the right direction, hopefully. They've been a performance standards-wise bad over the past 10 years. They're not great overall, but they are a team that has had a ton of success as of recently in terms of making the right draft choices and some of the right trades. But this is about as high as I could put them. I couldn't really put them anywhere else on the board, honestly. Um, they're 21, pretty straightforward. My number 20 is the New York Knicks, and the New York Knicks don't have that flash. They don't have that bang. They don't have that it factor that some of these other teams have. Um, there is, obviously, um, RJ, and it is, you know, Madison Square Garden. But I just think the other teams up here have more to offer, and I just don't see much going on in terms of the Knicks on this list getting any higher. So we're going to put them at, um, gonna put them at uh, number 20. Moving on to number 19, Portland Trailblazers, who have Damian Lillard. They're not a great team. They could be a great team this year with the players they added in free agency. Damian Lillard gets them all the way up to uh, number 19. They're just must-watch from him and him alone. Um, and they're better than everyone else on this list in terms of, maybe not record-wise, but in terms of just, just people wanting to watch. So right now, number 19. Number 18 is the Atlanta Hawks. I think people are interested in the DeJounte Murray pairing with Trey Young. Clint Capella, they got a great team, a great head coach. You know, the Hawks are a team that might have their hands full with this Eastern Conference the way it is. But they're at 18, and they're a step above Portland. And I think they uh, have some great pieces, and they're must-watch uh, TV for um, where they are on this list. And, you know, I think um, they're going to have some uh, good games. Next on the list is the Pelicans, and I think Zion and Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum and their team outweigh the Hawks just slightly because I think Zion is just must-watch TV in general because he was the former number one overall pick in his draft, and I think people are interested. They're making head waves, making it up the, the ranks in terms of potentially a playoff team again. So, yeah, they're going to be a step above at 17. Pretty easy. Uh, number 16 is Minnesota, and Rudy Gobert is must-watch TV in general, and Carl Anthony Towns. They're not the biggest market. They're not the greatest team history-wise, but 
This could be something. They got to be easily at 16. Number 15 is the Chicago Bulls, and while the Chicago Bulls are not the once-storied franchise of Jordan, they are now a team with Lonzo, DeMar DeRozan, and Vucevic, which um, is, in a lot of ways, must-watch TV, um, but this is as high as I can put them. Uh, Toronto Raptors, with their, you know, Raptor mentality and the whole sort of Canada behind them, and OG and Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam, they're 14. They're a great team. They can be a very good playoff team, and I think they deserve to be on this list right here. Nuggets, I put them a step uh, higher. They're 13 because of Jokic, who is just amazing, and I think he's a bigger presence than anyone on the Raptors. So i got to put them right there on the list. Then we got the Memphis Grizzlies, who are obviously must-watch television for John Morant, and they're higher up on this list than the Nuggets, the Raptors, Chicago, Minnesota, Pelicans, Hawks, all because of they came in second place last year and they were a great team and they made it far um, in the season as a great team and they are coming back strong and I'm putting them right there at number um, 12 for that reason and that reason alone. Um, we have number 11 on the list and number 10 are both Los Angeles, the Lakers, then the Clippers. Now, Clippers get 10, Lakers get uh, 11 because of the record, because the Clippers were a better team. But the Lakers are must-watch TV with LeBron James. And if they were a better team overall and they made the playoffs and they were a good playoff team, they could easily be number one. But they didn't make the playoffs. And there are teams that did, better teams. They easily are um, 11. And the Clippers with Kawhi, with Ty Lue, with... Um, Paul George and company, now John Wall, easily 10, easily, easily. Number 9 on my list is the Cavaliers. Now with Donovan Mitchell and this young core, they are uh, must-watch TV um, in a lot of ways. They made the playoffs and they were um, a team that um, just missed out. Um, they were a playing team and adding Mitchell makes them so much more must-watch TV. And people are going to want to see them. And this might be the season where they are must-watch TV since LeBron James left. And I can easily see them having a lot of fans all over. They're definitely easily number nine. Number eight is the Philadelphia 76ers. And between Joel Embiid and James Harden and Doc Rivers and um, the whole crew, they are must-watch TV um, for those players and, you know, Rivers and... Daryl Morey and what, whatnot, and I think they have a lot going for them. They were a great team, and they're going to be an even greater team this year. Um, and they're easily on my list at number eight. Number seven is the Dallas Mavericks. Um, obviously, it's 100% Luka must-watch TV. They were a great team, and they look even better. Uh, Christian Wood coming in. I think Mark Cuban just makes Dallas so much more must-watch just based on the fact that he's on Shark Tank and also at the games and everything he does as an owner. Like, they're just so much higher on the board than some of these other teams who don't have the owner that's as vocal as he is. You know, most of uh, the NBA has owners who aren't. So uh, he is uh, helping. Luka is helping. They're a great team. So they are must-watch TV in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, I'm going to put them on this list. 
uh, at number seven. Number six is the Miami Heat. Now, Miami, I think, overall is must-watch TV, but I think there are five teams that are slightly above Miami. Um, I think, you know, you have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Kyle Lowry, but I just don't see um, must-watch TV compared to these teams. Number five is the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and company. Um, Monty Williams is pretty good, and I think they are must-watch TV in a lot of different ways, and I think at the end of the day, it is going to be, you know, great to watch them, and I think they have a lot going for them, um, in my opinion. So I'm going to say uh, they're on the list at number five. Number four is, in my opinion, the Milwaukee Bucks, and they are easily must-watch TV for Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Mike Butenholzer. They are a great team. They have so much going for them. They are a team that can make the finals. Like, this team is a number four on my list. And there's three teams ahead of them. And I'm only going to be honest with you in saying two of them are, like, contenders for a title. But one of them is just must-watch TV for the hijinks and the, the antics. So, number three on my list is the Boston Celtics, who are the betters' favorites for the winning a championship out of the Eastern Conference, and obviously with Udoka gone, that's tough, but they still have, you know, Brad Stevens and Jalen Brown and Jace Tatum and Mark Smart and Horford and so many lovable characters and a great team, and they have great shooters and scorers, and there's so much going for Boston. They are easily, easily, easily number three. Now, number two is the Brooklyn Nets, and the Brooklyn Nets are not a team that I think can win a championship, but they will make the playoffs, and they could, in theory, make the Eastern Conference Finals, and more importantly, they are a team that has hijinks, and they have Kyrie Irving, anti-vaxxer, and the Flat Earth, and Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons, and Steve Nash, and that's way too much going on that I can't put them here. They must watch TV for the, the antics, must watch TV for the hijinks that they can, you know, put together, so... They're number two on my list. And then, obviously, number one, Golden State. They just won a championship. They got Steph. They got Clay. They got Draymond. They got Steve Kerr. They got Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole. They have so much going on. They are clearly number one in my book, and it's no question. Like, it's hard not to put them at number one for um, must-watch TV. They just can do everything. And I think Steph Curry is probably the most lovable player in the NBA, and I think he's actually more lovable than LeBron and more of a fan favorite than LeBron because I think LeBron kind of has this anti-hero to him and I think you have Steph Curry who has this you know hero aspect to him which is a big deal 